How are we doing? This is really the faithful crew. I mean, we got spring break, south by southwest, and a spring forward, and y'all are here. It looks good. I like it. I like it. It looks really good. This is awesome. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to hop right in today. we got a short text, but it's got a lot into it. So we're going to be in Luke 18. Go ahead and flip to that. If you need a Bible, just throw your hands up. Uh, our usher is going to be coming forward. No shame in that. Keep it. It's a gift from us to you. Also, on the screen behind me, there'll be a link for our YouVersion event. Uh, you can either open up your YouVersion app yourself and uh, go ahead and uh, click the events tab. And uh, in that, oh, it's not. I'm, I'm saying no. We don't have it up. Okay, cool. Well, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's in the bulletin. Cool. I hear what you're saying. I thought you were saying maybe it wasn't published. My bad. Uh, the link, the actual uh, notes are there. So if you open up your U version, the actual event is there. Uh, and then the link is actually in your bulletin too. So you can go ahead and add it. Uh, and we need a couple more Bibles down here. And we will be good to go. We're in Luke chapter 18 today. And just kind of... Uh, so you know what, you mind if we pray real quick one more time? Father, just thank you for this day. I uh, thank you for the morning here, and I ask uh, just specifically today, in the busyness of this morning and in our, our waking up and our senses being awakened this morning, that you would awaken our senses to you today. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a power that only you can do today. I have nothing to offer but you have everything, and your word has everything, God. And so I pray that the word of God would do a work today that only it can do. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message today is The Miracle of Sight. Um, I actually could have titled it about three different things. I could have titled it The Miracle of Sight. could have titled it The Miracle of Hearing. could have titled it The Miracle of Beauty. And you'll see by the end of today, I pray and hope, uh, why that is that way. But uh, the backstory here, just so you know before we jump in, is that in Luke has been writing and he introduced to us the person of Jesus in the very beginning of the first couple chapters of, of his gospel. And then we see that Jesus actually declares what his mission is. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard Jesus stood up in front of the people of God in a synagogue and declared, I am here to make the blind see, to heal the sick, to set the captives free, and that's why I've arrived. And then he says, today has been fulfilled in your presence. And so then as you see through the first nine chapters of Luke, you begin to see this unfold. And Jesus show that he is able to do what he says he is able to do. And as we continue reading, we see that him push his upside down kingdom mentality into the world. And then him fulfill what he said he's going to fulfill and declare why he's here on earth. And then we get into this next part of the book. And the rest of the majority of Luke is actually Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem. It's a huge portion of the book. He's headed to the cross. He's headed to Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. And on the way, he begins to encounter a lot of different people. And he unfolds a lot of his message, mostly by way of parables, mostly by way of interacting with people on the way and on his journey. And he portrays, Luke is portraying Jesus on this journey. They are showing that people are learning as we go. What a great umbrella for us to sit under today. We are learning as we go. So whatever weight you felt today walking in here, however you feel coming, that I don't know enough, or maybe I do know too much, or I don't know enough at all, or I'm not where I want to be. That's the umbrella today, is that Luke is showing us that Jesus is portraying that we are on a journey. We are on a path. And if you don't like where you are today, I promise you this, God is growing you. 
He will continue to grow you. That is his promise to us. He hasn't stopped growing you. And he is a father. And so I just encourage you today to look at your own self, maybe more so as a child, under the holy presence and the beauty of a great, perfect father who's saying to you today, I just want to carry you along. I just want to not point at you and condemn you for falling a few times, but I want to pick you back up and I want to congratulate you for taking two steps and hey, let's go take three next time. And this is who God is. And as we see the story unfold, this is where we go. And it says this in Luke 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, everybody say with me, Jericho. A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by him, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Say that to your neighbor, Jesus of Nazareth. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David. Say that with me, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, what a beautiful question he asked. What do you want me to do for you? And the Lord, and he said, Lord, a third title he gives him, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, began to give praise to God. We begin the story right in the very beginning in Jericho. So I don't know if you grew up in the church or not, and you've heard the stories about the old Jericho, you know, the walls are kind of tumbling down. This is not that actual Jericho. That Jericho was an ancient city, the one that's mentioned in the Old Testament, and it's actually a mile from this newer Jericho, this Jericho that was actually built, most historians believe, by King Herod. King Herod created this town, and it was actually sort of like a resort town. It was called the City of Palms. So, you know, you think about it, like palm trees, L.A., Las Vegas, these great towns you go to, you're not going to place palms in the middle of Minnesota, right? You're going to place palms in the middle of a resort area. This is the kind of town that it was. It was a town, actually, most historians, some of them believe that this was, um, the reason there were palms there to begin with was that Antony gave the palm trees to Cleopatra, his lover, as a gift to her to say he cared for her. And so this town was known for all of its palm trees. And so you have a lot of date palms that came from that. There were also balsam gardens there, a lot of aromatic fragrance. It was a very special city that was there. And this is the town that Jesus is coming up to. Now, maybe what's more important than even that is the fact that this town was only 15 miles from Jerusalem. Only 15 miles. I want you to think today you walked out of the well, you go out of the street, you head towards 35 and you go straight up 35. It was a day's journey and you would end in Round Rock if you started walking. That's about how far this was. And this was the last stop, the last town in that journey to get to Jerusalem. And this is a big holiday weekend. It was a big holiday weekend. Think South by Southwest, roads are filled up, people are everywhere all over the place. They were headed to Jerusalem for Passover. They were headed to celebrate a spiritual journey of what God had done in the lives of the, of the Israelites, that he had saved the Israelites, that he had rescued them, and that he had spared their life. And it's a great story. We don't have time to get into it today, but it has incredible implications for the life of Jesus Christ. And this is where they were headed. So they were all on a journey. People are coming from all over the place. They're headed through this town. There were two roads to get to go from the north, uh, from the south to the north to get to Jerusalem. One was right through Jericho. The other one was around in Samaria. And if you know anything about scriptures, 
Jews often avoided Samaria because it was something that they didn't like. So likely, most likely, the majority of people were coming through this town and they would stop right here, get rest, eat some dates, have some water, hang out, kick it a little bit right before they ended up going on to Jerusalem. And this is what it says as he gets there. Jesus arrives to Jericho and there is a blind man sitting by the road. Now, I don't know about you if you don't think about this, but I want you just to put yourself in the story this morning. You're a blind guy. You have been, the scripture says, you have been begging, begging on the roadside. Where are you going to go to beg and find money? You're going to go to the last stop before you arrive. The people of God, the spiritual people headed to Jerusalem. You're going to stand right there in the midst. I mean, this blind man was smart. He was intelligent. He's in the space where all of the spiritual people are walking right through. You know what I'm saying this morning? Like if, if you were needing to beg, you would probably come out and you'd probably stand out front of the church. Like I always have thought that. If you really wanted to get, I mean, it would be really smart for anybody in this town who needed something to stand outside of our church at the end of this and just say, hey, I need some help right now. That's what's going on. A lot of spiritual people moving through this town and you have all these beggars here. Why? Why do I know there were all these beggars? If you open up the other, uh, the same story, it's in the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew says there were two beggars. There were many beggars. There were some beggars. And that's the thing that you need to see today is that these streets possibly have all sorts of people from this town. They're relaxing. They're hanging out. And Jesus comes along and Jesus has a crowd with him. And there is a beggar on the street who is helpless. Now, uh, I want you to think of this. I, just, I, just, uh, I want us to live in a story because I think it's easy for us to kind of uh, read this and read it easily and brush past it. But if you'll play along with me this morning just a little bit, I would, it would be awesome. But I want you to close your eyes. I want everybody in to close your eyes. I promise you the offering's already gone by. No one's going to steal your pocketbook. All right? I just want you to close your eyes. I'm going to do the same. No one's going to pop out at you. I just want you to think this morning. Imagine you woke up this morning. Your eyes are closed. And this is how you woke up. And you couldn't see, and you didn't know what was going on. And you wake up, and where's my sight? And you begin kind of feeling around you're in your bed. You're looking for your phone next to your nightstand, maybe. You're looking for it. You're reaching for it. You get it, and you're rubbing your eyes, and nothing's happening, and you begin to panic a little bit. And you get out of bed, and you're fumbling through, and you're panicked. What is happening? Why can't I see? And somehow you figure out how to make it through to your bathroom, and you begin to flush your eyes with water, and you rub them some more, and nothing is changing. What are you to do? You can open your eyes. I want you to think about this. How much we take our sight for granted. How much every day you rely on these things every single day to get you to where you need to go and to get you to what you do. Oftentimes our gifts, we don't realize how good they are until they're gone. And this man is sitting on the road and maybe for however long it was, he had lost his sight and did not know what to do with his life. Can you just picture, we were talking about this in our team time. We were sharing about this and going through the scripture and one of our staff members, she just begins to weep. And she said, I just can't imagine that. That's the feeling of what it would be like to be lonely, to not just ask on the side of the road, but to have to beg for help. This is the position that this man is in. He's probably not the only beggar here, and this is what it says. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. So he doesn't have eyes, but we know he has ears. 
He doesn't have eyes, but we know that he can hear. Oftentimes, scientists will say that when one sight and one sense goes out, the other ones become a lot more acute and sharper. This man begins to hear something in the distance coming along. He hears this crowd of people rolling down the street. Now, anybody, we have any golf fans in here? Anybody love golf? Tiger Woods right now, hello, on top of the leaderboard today, excited, he's back, maybe he's back, we don't know if he's back. I have been to a tournament where Tiger was playing before, and it's exactly like this. There was Tiger mania, there's electricity in the crowd, there's people following, you can hear the roar of the people walk on the green next to you. You'd be all the way on the first tee, and over on 10, you could just hear this massive roar when Tiger would do something, and this is what I think is going on with Jesus. He's got a crowd of people, people following him, and you feel that this man's life right now, he's senses that they're coming and they tell him who it is. They say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by. Jesus of Nazareth. And so this man hears that Jesus is passing by. Now where is Jesus headed to? Where is he headed? Jerusalem. Wrong. He's headed to his death. Jesus is on his way and he's headed to the cross with a mission in mind The last stop, he knows I'm headed to Jerusalem and he knows exactly what he is entering into. He knows exactly where he's going, who he's walking with. And I cannot even begin to imagine the weight of the world that was on the humanity of Jesus Christ in this moment. The last stop of the last town. And it's amazing if you put that in context of where Jesus was and where this blind man was, the beautiful intricacies of what unfolds in this story. And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. He has a posse with him. Notice he doesn't say, Jesus of Jericho is coming by. Jesus of Jerusalem is coming by. Jesus of Capernaum, Jesus of Bethesda. No, he says, Jesus of Nazareth. This was the height of Jesus' ministry. Everybody had heard about Jesus. And I can only imagine the sick and the afflicted had especially heard this name, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, did you know that he heals? Oh, did you know he has given sight to other people? One time I saw him spit in the mud and he put it on someone's eyes. Oh, did you hear that there was a man who broke through the roof and came down and he made this man walk again? Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? And this man goes, Jesus of Nazareth? Is it Jesus? Of, is it the, like the Jesus of Nazareth? He's here today? And this man hears it, and I'm not telling you, the sweetest words he has heard in his lifetime came upon his ears when he hears it. Though he has no eyesight, he hears Jesus is coming. And this is what the text says in verse 38. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, please do not miss the punctuation in your Bible. Hello, Bible Theology 101, hermeneutics, here we go. You're so excited this morning. Don't miss the punctuation in your Bible. Look, I have a friend here, uh, he's here today, Caleb. Uh, He tells me that people don't use exclamation marks very much. It's not really good in marketing, branding sense to use a lot of exclamation marks. I am an exclamation mark freak, okay? I'm like, hey, what's up? Exclamation mark, how you doing? Exclamation mark, wanna grab coffee? Exclamation mark, Sunday's gonna be great? Exclamation mark. I love exclamation marks. So if you get an email from me this week or from the well and you see a lot of exclamation marks, oh, Nick probably wrote this email. I love exclamation marks. And where I probably shouldn't be using them, God is very intentioned where he uses it. And he says right here, he says in these words, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, exclamation mark. I don't believe that this was a quiet, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David, please. I don't believe it was like a medium. Jesus, have mercy on me. I think it was a Jesus. Jesus. I believe he shouted to the top of his lungs. I believe that he pushed through the crowd and he hears the greatest words he's heard in a long time. This is the man. This is the one. This is him. This is Jesus. He's here and he yells, Jesus! 
And he's shouting at the top of his lungs. And here's how I know he was shouting in his desperation. It's because the next line in verse 38 says, and those that were around him rebuked him, and they're telling him, be quiet. And it says, all the more, all the more, literally those words together in the Greek, extensively, louder, harder than before, he goes, Jesus! And he yells it. And he's yelling in desperation because this is the time, this is the moment that there is the God of the universe. How do I know that he thinks that this is the God of the universe? He calls him son of David. Son of David. I'm going to put it up on the screen behind us. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 14. God is speaking to King David. And he makes a covenant with him. He makes him a long-lasting more than a promise, a covenant, a pact. And he tells him this thing. He says, I will raise up your offspring after you. He shall come from your body. He will be of yours. And I will establish his kingdom. Not just a kingdom. Check this out. He shall build a house for my name, God's name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. This is mind-blowing. This is the promise that was given to David that from his line would come one who would establish a kingdom forever. And somehow, some way, this blind man has heard. He has heard that this is Jesus of Nazareth and he has made the connection. He is the one that's able to do it. He is the one that fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah 61. He is right. He is the guy that stood up on stage in the middle of a synagogue and said to everybody, I can heal the, the sick. I can make the blind see. And he goes, blind see. He can make blind see. This is the messianic figure. This is the son of David. And he yells out loud, Jesus, please, Jesus. I love it. Luke doesn't want us to miss this today because he wanted us to make a connection. Luke had already been talking about David in the scriptures. Doesn't talk about him a lot, actually, interestingly enough, but he did talk about him in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, when the angel of the Lord comes to Mary to announce that she will bear the Son of God. This is what it says. The Lord, uh, hold on, we'll flip up. There we go. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever. And his kingdom will be no end. Does it sound a little familiar to you? Verse 35, check this out. If that doesn't sound familiar, this should too. The child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God. Luke wanted to make no mistake, period. This was the Messiah. This was the son of God. This is the one that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. And Luke is saying this is the fulfillment of him. The people should have had no confusion. But even as you read in this text, it's amazing. If you read right before this, the disciples are going who? You're doing what? You're going where? You're going to die how? And he tells them for a third time, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I will rise again. And they're still confused. That should do two things for you today. One, it should bring a lot of comfort to you. <laughs> Amen. Hello. It should bring a lot of comfort to you today. If you're still like, I don't get this Jesus thing fully. I don't understand what they're talking about up there, these big church words. It should bring a lot of comfort to you that the men who walked with him for three years were still, moments before he would go on the cross, a little confused at what was going on. The other part of it is it should awaken you and awaken your senses this morning that even the disciples were blind a bit, but not this man, Bartimaeus. He knew this was the son of God. Now, how did he know? Because he heard it. He didn't see it. He didn't see 
someone be raised from the dead. He didn't see somebody come out of the ceiling. He didn't see somebody be healed of paralyzation. He heard it. And that's why this is the miracle of healing, hearing as much as it is the miracle of sight. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. I want you to know this today, that God is going to speak to you through the word, and it is the word of God. It's not some person up here. It's not my ability to communicate. It's not Tori's ability to exegete the word. It is the word of God being heralded, it being spoken out, and being able to hear it, that God uses those moments. That's why it is so important for us to gather in here this morning, because we get to herald the word, speak it out, and God begins to do some work. He begins to transform and change. He begins to give you sight to see things that you've never seen before. Takasa, thank you for sharing that. I bet you heard last night the word of God heralded. You heard people speaking to you, and you heard them sharing the word of God. And she came in here this morning and says to us, I'm changed. I'm different this morning. The other thing I want you to see here is that this man's disability, he can't see, but he hears. And perhaps, perhaps just possibly that the disability, his lack of sight, awakened his hearing so that he would eventually be sitting here today and meet Jesus. So let me just say, perhaps your greatest need right now in your life and your greatest disability is meant to lead you right to Jesus today. Maybe God wants you to reflect and just think, Lord, what is it right now that's in my life that I have been saying is my greatest disability? And God's saying, would you just hear me? Would you just hear me say to you today, I want you to come to my feet? Is there a desperation to come to me today? You see, this is what happened to this man. He heard the word. He heard that this was the Messiah. And he then responds in faith. Faith, what is faith? It's this internal conviction that leads to an external action. So he hears, he receives he has an internal conviction, and here's how it becomes faith. It leads to an external action. It leads to him persistently screaming, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It leads to him when what you're going to see pushing past these people who are telling him, be quiet, sit down. No, you can't talk to him. Jesus is busy today. Get down, beggar. Don't talk to us. Jesus! And he starts yelling, and he pushes past Mark's, uh, literally Mark's uh, story of this uh, in the scriptures, say that he threw off his cloak and sprang up. A blind man, a blind person is going to keep their possessions very close to them. Amen? They can't see. They can't find it. They're not letting go of those things. They're going to know where everything is. This man threw his cloak off. Another example and another sign that this man had faith that I don't need that anymore. I'm not going to have to look for that in a minute. I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I'm going to be able to see exactly where it is as it's being trampled on today. That is faith, an internal conviction leading us in an external action. What has God convicted you in? What has he spoken to you in that he's calling you to step forward into today? What is he saying to you today that he longs for you to trust and believe with not only knowledge and belief? Because even the demons have knowledge, it says in scripture. Even the demons know that Jesus is who he is. But the difference there is that there's a response to it. There's a response that moves forward in what God has said in a promise, and that is exactly what has happened here. There is a desperation. Now, real quick, I want to talk about the crowd that's with Jesus. We talked about Jesus we talked about the blind man, but I want to talk to you about the crowd today that's with Jesus. Do you notice, I don't know how they were, fat, happy, content, rolling along with Jesus, heading up to Jerusalem. They know where they're going. They have no idea what he's headed to, but they're rolling with him hard. There's probably some disciples there. 
And they have neither no pity nor no help for this man sitting on the side of the road. And they walk right past him. In fact, they tell him to be quiet and to sit down. And I'm just wanting to today, I just felt like the Lord wanted us to impress on this to us today that if we, church, are not careful, we could become this kind of entourage to Jesus. You know what I mean? We just roll along. We're, we're glad we're here today. We're in our church. We made it here. By the grace of God, our alarm went off. <laughs> we got a coffee, maybe. We got here today. And maybe we can become this group of people that sits in here today and says, this is us. This is our little spiritual powwow. Them out there create this they mentality. Them out there, they don't get it. They don't see. They're partying. They're crazy. Man, they're them. They're out at South by Southwest right now. Man, them, look at those, those supporters of that political candidate. Look at those protesters. Look at those people, those crazy people. Look at all of these people in this world that don't get it. Look at those disgusting people. And if we're not careful, thinking the world that has lost its ever-loving mind and is going to hell in a handbag today, and yet we're in here in our powwow because we're enlightened and we know Jesus. I am not bashing the church today. It's actually far from it. I love the church of God. The church of God is the hope for the world right now through Jesus Christ, through the church of God. But I will tell you, the entire point of church in here is to equip you to go out there we are here today it says in scripture not to just sing songs not to just gather an offering and just do things and get religiously busy we are here today to be equipped friends my friends to go out there and if lest you think for one moment that God could not use this room right here to do what he wants to do oh my may I ask you to check your faith God took 12 men 12 very clueless men, <laughs> and he changed the entire world. What we do in here is meant to affect out there. That is what church is about. Do you even think about this this morning? Your church attendance, you being here in the community of saints is actually not just about you. Do you realize somebody in here today might need to hear from you, I love you. Can I give you a hug? Can I see you? Can we get together? Do you realize there are people in here who are in this church right now, first time ever, and they got here at, at, at 9, 10 this morning, and nobody might have been here, and they're sitting by themselves, and they are here sitting in this room, and where are our covenant members that need to love them and need to see them and need to engage with them? I want us to begin to see that God wants to stir us outside of just ourselves. He wants to stir us towards others. He wants us to see every opportunity on the bus, in the coffee shop, at work, where we go, as we go, on our journey is an opportunity to be the light, to be love, not to be Jesus. Let Jesus be Jesus. You get to be one of his disciples. You get to be the person who gets to express his love to other people. The greatest danger in our lives, as we live right here, by the way, in a city of two million people that don't a lot of them don't know the Lord. Most of them don't know the good news that you know that this blind man knew today. But the greatest danger is that we come in here and live by ourselves, for ourselves, knowing more about God, and we forget the greatest commission and the call on your life to share the good news with them out there. This is why we're here today. It's why I'm standing up here. It's why we are singing today. We cannot relegate, we cannot relegate the idea of evangelism to the evangelist, okay? Can I get an Amen. We cannot relegate the idea of evangelism to the evangelist only. Well, that's not my gifting, brother. Well, that's not me. I'm just a, I'm just, we love this one. I'm just an introvert, brother. 
I'm not that kind of guy that wants to go out there and I don't need to open my mouth all the time. We have to realize God has placed you exactly where you are in this city. Not me, not Tori, not a pastor, not a shepherd, not a community group leader. He's placed you and he believes that the power that raised a man from the dead is living inside of you, not my words, to go and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot keep believing it's other people's job. Cannot clump up in here while the world is desperate like this man Bartimaeus, day by day by day. A pastor said this to me once. He said, Christians are like manure. You spread them out and everything grows better. It's amazing. But you keep them in one pile and they stink horribly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> These people were following Jesus and they are way more interested. They are busy. Oh man, are we busy? We got too much in our schedules. For possibly, actually, I would argue the most, apart from you and that communion with the Lord, the most important aspect of your life, the reason you exist. Are we too busy that we've become too cold to a desperate world around us? You are not saved to sit still. You're saved to be sent. And it's the part of American Christianity that I think that we miss a lot. We think the moment we come to faith is the moment it's over. We got it, I'm in now. But we forget that all through scripture, the whole story is that they come in to the family and immediately are sent out. It's amazing. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded this man to be brought near. I love the irony of this. The people that were trying to keep him down, Jesus is now telling them, bring him near. Pick him up for me. Bring him over here. Come on, let's go. Let's bring him over here. Oh yeah, I was with him all along. Oh yeah, this is my friend, Jesus. I love this guy. And puts him down. Oh, yeah, he's great, man. Look at him. Look at, look, his cloak fell off. I'm going to brush off the dust on him, Jesus. Look, I got him for you. Can't you just see it? <laughs> and Jesus is so unhurried. Dallas Willard says that the greatest quality, if you could think of one word to think of our, our Savior Jesus, is that he's unhurried. Oh, man. He is not so busy with the alcoholism and the desperation and the addictions and the pain and the protests and the rallies and the civil wars and the world wars. And he's just not so busy that he doesn't see you. I know you've heard that before. I know that's nothing new if you've been in church to hear that, but he's not busy. He's not hurried past you this morning. He wants to see you where you're at. And he says possibly some of the sweetest words, I think, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? There is something so sweet about this. The God of the universe would ask today, what do you want me to do for you? Look, I think it's real, uh, I, I tread a, a, a thin line here. But I think it's interesting that in the church world, at least in my experience in, in 12 years of ministry, that I, I see a lot that when you hear something like this, the first thing people say is, hey, make sure you let them know that God's not going to answer all things. Like that's the first follow-up. So a lot of people have said that to me. Yes, God, God will work on your behalf, but he might not answer all things. Like we're afraid that we want to like play the PR agent for God today, you know? Well, just in case he doesn't, I just want to be careful to let you know. What do you want from me? Well, yeah, he's asking you that, but like it's got to be in this way and his will and this thing. And yes, yes and amen. I'm not downplaying. I'm not saying today that God doesn't, uh, that God always answers every prayer. He is not a genie in the bottle. 
But I think Jesus wants us to think today what's going on in our heart, what's going on in our world, and to bring that specifically to him and believe that God has what is best for us. I think in our well intentions of trying to avoid the prosperity gospel and our well intentions of trying to guard our flocks and not we, like to be careful there, that we totally strip God of the sweet nature of his fathership of his desire to give us good things. I think what needs to be said more is that God longs to give you the best answer. God answers our prayers in three ways. He says, yes, no, and wait. And we like one of those. (laughs) You know what I mean? We don't like the other two. And then when he does say yes, we're like, great, the next thing. Oh, you said no? Oh, you're saying wait? We don't like that at all. But it's just like Jesus when he shows up in John 11 to speak to Mary and Martha, and he waited four days to heal their brother Lazarus and bring him back from the dead. He waits four days. Why are you waiting four days, Jesus? There's a dead, I just told you, there's a dead man, and you have the power to heal him. And he says, wait, if you would believe, you will see the glory of God displayed. If you will believe. Someone's got to hear that today. If you will wait, you will see the glory of God displayed. Do you believe that this morning? God's no always leads to a greater yes. His no always leads to a greater yes. And he's calling us this morning to lay down specifically what it is that we need to lay down. Philippians 4, 6, it says, to cre- it says by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, lay your anxieties before the Lord. That idea of by prayer, we've preached on this before here, it just means to create a space. It's a very general word for the word prayer. It's to create a general space to be with God, very generally. I think we think to pray means I gotta come and say these things and do these things. I actually think prayer is more like communion. Like prayer for beginners, it's communion. It's just approaching God. It's doing what this man is doing in this text and reaching out to Jesus. It is approaching God in communion and then to be supplicative, to, to supplications, to be very specific. That word means to be specific, humbly plea. Humbly plea. Beg, beg, beg. God, come to me. Help me. This thing, I've laid it for you before you a hundred times. I'm going to do it 101 today. I'm going to do it 102 now. I'm going to do it 103 until I find out if it's a yes, a no, or a wait, Lord. That is even the story in Luke 18 earlier, if you read before it, are the parables of the persistent widow. That God says, how much more will God answer somebody who continues to knock on a door over and over? He will. He longs to answer you. What do you want from him today, friends, church? What do you need from him today? Come to him. Speak to him. And he says to him, verse 41, the blind man says, Lord, interesting, calls him Lord. It's not a sir. It's Lord. Recover my sight. Recover. Something that's been lost before. He wanted his sight back. This man had sight before. And Jesus says to him, oh, this is awesome. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. That word, that phrase there, recover your sight, anablepo, 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 Greek word. It just means see. See, your faith's made you well. One word. The God of the universe who spoke to the universe into existence with one word says one word to this man and in a moment's time he can change your circumstance and situation that you are walking through today see and he gives this man sight 
physical sight. We know he already had spiritual sight because his faith made him well. His belief, his internal convictions that led to the external actions made him well. And the first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. Come on. And he gets his sight and he opens his eyes and it's Jesus. It says in scripture that we are right now, I get it. Look, we are in a hard time in life right now. Like we're like, I kind of see these things of Jesus. I don't fully understand why I still feel this way. I'm going through these things. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that we are seeing through a dimly lit window, a cloudy sort of window. That's where we are now. But one day we will see Jesus face to face. We will see the face of Jesus. Does that fire you up this morning that we are going to look God in the eyes and I'm gonna see my savior. I'm gonna look at him in the face and I'm going to be shouting for joy, I'll tell you that. I'm going to be ecstatic. And this man was ecstatic. Immediately, it says, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Three things I want you to see here as we close this text out. One, Jesus does heal. He does heal. This is a church, if you needed to know it, we believe that Jesus heals. We believe he's still in the business today of healing people. We don't believe that's ended. We don't believe that's over. We believe God has the power to heal. Does he always? Maybe not. Does he always? How many blind beggars were along that road and how many of them got healed? James says, if you're sick, come down before the elders. Let them anoint you and pray for you. Let us. Let us partake in that potentially God's offering to heal you and to walk with you. But Jesus does heal. And this is what this text is telling us. And we believe it. And so I'm going to encourage you as our flock, as our friends, as our family to say to you, ask him and expect it. Don't just ask and doubt, oh, he might not. Like when you pray, that is the holiest of moments. To stand before God and say, I I don't even know how you're going to do this, if it's possible, but God, please, and wait, and wait, and expect. Number two, you need to understand this. The blind man is us in this story. You probably already knew that, but we need our sight recovered. And frankly, some of us here today are still blind. You can be blind to your sin. You can be blind to who God is. You can be blind to who you are. You can be blind to the world around you. You can still be blind in here today, and God can still be revealing things to you today. We are the blind person, and some of us in here don't even know this man Jesus, and we are spiritually blind. You see, to God, in God's life, in God's world, sight is much more a matter of the heart than it is the eyes. And he longs to give eyes to your heart. He wants you to see him how he sees him. He wants you to see you how he sees you. And that's what he is doing here. Uh, I'll close out with this story, but years ago at a conference, John Piper uh, talked about spiritual blindness, and it stuck with me. He opened up this conference message with a question. He said, why do we gather here every single Sunday? Why do we gather in these conferences? Why do we preach and sing? That's all we do. Preach and sing, preach and sing, preach and sing, preach and sing. Hey, Sunday morning, preach and sing, preach and sing, preach and sing. You ever thought about that? Why are we here preaching and singing every single Sunday? No other faith in the entire world does this. No other way of following Jesus gathers to preach and to sing. And the reason we do it is for two reasons. One, we preach because we're the only way of following God, the only way of reaching God that is sustained by news. 
So we are heralding, preaching news every single Sunday. The second part, and possibly I think the more important part, is because that news is good news. And what is that good news? I want to propose to you today as we close out that maybe this good news is actually something you've never heard in a way you've heard it before. But that good news he proposed to me was the good news is God's gift of the beauty of himself in Jesus. Let me say that again. The good news, the gospel, is God's gift of the beauty of himself through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means the good news is that I see Jesus as beautiful. That's the good news, that you had sight to see, Jesus, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. And the good news is that something revealed that to you. You don't hold up a painting and go, is this beautiful? Yes or no? That's what you say. You don't go, is it beautiful or is it boring? Is it beautiful or is it boring? You don't ask that question. You ask, is it beautiful? Because there's an answer for both of us. It either is or it's not. And this is what he says. Look at this. Check this out. You don't believe me? Check scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. It says this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So, hey, why don't you get it? Why don't you get it? Why don't they get it? They don't get it because they're blinded by the God of this world, Satan. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the illumination of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. That word glory is inextricably woven with the word beauty. So put another way, if you put up the other slide, I'm gonna break this down in layman's terms. Even if our gospel, good news, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light, the illumination of the good news of the beauty of Christ. It's the enemy who's kept us from seeing his beauty. For we proclaim it's not of ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ. For God has shown in our hearts to give us the illumination of the knowledge of the beauty of God. If you see Jesus today as beautiful, it is because God has illuminated that to you and showed you just how beautiful his name is. This means today it is not a decision to follow Jesus and to believe in the good news. It is actually a sight given to you that causes you to follow Jesus and believe this good news. Do you see him as beautiful today? Do you see him as beautiful? The last part of this is just that it's a model for discipleship. This man heard the message, sees Jesus beautiful, acts off this internal conviction externally, persists, cries out, throws off his cloak, wasn't letting anyone get in the way of him and Jesus, joins the family of God, glorifies the family of God, and the people around him see his life as great and amazing. You understand today we live in a dissatisfied world. We are in a dissatisfied place. There are dissatisfied, restless people right now in your jobs, where you're at, and we have something to offer them today. We have something to offer. We've got to wake up every morning, and I wrote this, look in the mirror and say, I am the product of a transforming touch of Jesus Christ. Not just I simply met Jesus way back when, but I met Jesus today. And I'm still meeting with Jesus and his significance and power in my life is impacting me today and I have something to offer you. So that's the question I leave you with today. Are you seeing him as beautiful? Are you desperate to get into his presence? Do you long for him still today, Christian? 
the way that this man does in this moment when you first got to know him? And is that beauty worth carrying into every place that you go? There are people dying. There are identity crises. There are people hurting. There are people weeping. There are collapsing families, eating disorders, depression and loneliness, and we have something to offer. Why would we not take our limited amount of time and use the maximum impact we can possibly make with the life and the resources God has given us? Perhaps, perhaps, it is simply because we are no longer desperate. Lord, make me desperate. Father, I pray today that you would make me desperate. God, I pray you would remind me of who you are and how gorgeous you are.